0: I'd like to invite Brian Kelly, one of our newest elders, to come up. Uh, Brian is uh, elder for finance, for personnel, and this morning for reading scripture.
1: Then, then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of His covenant was seen within His temple. There were flashes of lightning, lightning, rumblings, pearls of thunder, an earthquake and heavy hail, and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and crying, and crying out in birth, pains, and the agony of giving birth, and another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon, with seven heads, ten horns, and on his head, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars out of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up in God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, For they love not their their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heaven. And you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God hold to the testimony of Jesus and he stood and sh- and he stood on the sands of the sea
0: the lord thank you so much for that so i had a couple of people come to me after the service and one of our sisters in christ came to me And she said pastor Pete, thank you so much for explaining this very complicated passage before home groups, before small groups. And I. I really appreciated it. And I said, you're welcome. I tipped my hat. And I had someone else come to me with, with tears in their eyes and said, thank you. I needed to hear that. In both cases, that's the only work the Lord can do. I pray God would help us all understand what this uh, complicated text means, but also that you and I would have experience drawing closer to the Lord. Amen. Here we are, the center of the book, the end of chapter 11, where the announcement that Christ is king is made from heaven. And then John sees something else. He's drawn into the Holy of Holies, the most holy of places, the Ark of the Covenant, where God met humanity on earth, where heaven and earth met, and there, lo and behold, the Ark is open, and then all this happens. And here we're entering now into the third section of the book of Revelation, chapters 12 to 15. It says that John sees another sign. He sees a series of signs. A sign in Revelation points to a greater reality. And so he sees a multiple of signs. He sees a sign of a a mother, her child, a dragon, a, a cosmic battle all of chapter 12 is, again, a retelling of the human drama and of human history in the course of two visions. Verses 1 to 7 is the first vision. And what does this remind us of? This might surprise you. If you really look at it as we're looking at it together, it reminds us actually of the story of Christmas. It's a retelling of the Christmas story. And then the second vision we'll look at verses uh, 8 to 12 in just a moment, but How is this Christmas? Let's take a look at this. Who is this woman? Our our Catholic friends would say, well, it's got to be Mary, uh, the the mother of of Jesus. And, And that could be, but is that the sign of greater reality that John is seeing and wants his readers to see? Remember last week, the theme was to see a victory, to look above and beyond the realities of this world. There's more to reality than meets the eye. What could be more? Let's look at the text. What's the greater sign? Look closely at the description. She's clothed with the sun. Mind you, again, lots of figurative symbolic language. What might that mean? She's clothed with the sun. There's the moon and the stars under her feet and a crown with 12 stars. Where do we find that in the Old Testament? Well, the first reference, if you're taking notes, would be Genesis chapter 37, Verse 9, you know the story? It's the story of, of Joseph who had 11 big brothers, and, and he was a little bit full of himself and a little bit cocky, and maybe not. he didn't have great uh, EQ, like emotional intelligence. He didn't really know what he was getting himself into. He got up one night and, and uh, one morning and came to his brothers to tell them about a dream he had at night. And what was the dream? I saw the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowing down before me. What did the brothers think? This guy, this guy, they weren't impressed at all, because they knew what he was saying, but meaning the interpretation of this dream, that their father Jacob was the son, their mother Rachel, the moon, eleven stars would be his brothers, Jacob being or Joseph being the twelfth star, and here he has this vision of them bowing down before him, and this would have been a very, very familiar passage. It probably is even to us here if we've grown up uh, in Sunday school. That's the sign is pointing to, the sign of this woman clothed with sun, moon, and 12 stars. It points to Israel. It points to the people of God throughout the Hebrew scriptures, throughout the Old Testament. Now, I've tried in this series to to find and tease out as many Old Testament references as I can. There's at least 500, only 400-something-some-odd verses in the book of Revelation with over 500 allusions to the Old Testament. I'm I'm working my way through to see if I can cover every book in the Old Testament. So here's one we haven't talked about, the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 10, describes Israel in this very way sun moon the stars isaiah chapter 26 verse 16 to 18 portrays israel as a mother about to give birth to the messiah this is 700 years before jesus the prophet isaiah has this prophecy again related to again and again the people of god but here in revelation the woman is not the the Old Testament people of God of Israel. No, it is the New Testament Christians, the Christian church made up of, of Jews and Gentiles. How do I know that? Verse 17 of the chapter refers to Christians, and it says, as, quote, and the rest of her offspring. So we have in view here the mother church of all Christians, universal and everywhere. And that would fit very much in line with all that we've seen in the first 11 chapters of Revelation. So that's the woman, the mother. John says that he sees a great dragon with seven heads. So we've talked about the number seven being a number of completeness, and, so, and the head being a sign of authority. And so this is a, a dragon. It's already scary enough, right, a dragon? How about a dragon with seven heads, symbolizing this great authority, this great authority that's on earth, 10 horns, a sign of great strength. How about seven diadems? What's a diadem? It's a jeweled crown, and, and it's a symbol of, of wealth. But in this case, we'll see that this dragon is a, is a false royal. In fact, we'll see throughout the scriptures the parallel passages back and forth between Christ and the Antichrist. We'll see the mother and the harlot. And here we have the dragon, who is a, a false royal. If you're taking notes, you can write down Harry and Meghan, Right? They've been stripped of their title. Nothing? Really? Okay. (laughs) That one didn't work. It It killed in the first service. So, the woman is in labor. Moms, grandmothers, you know how vulnerable that moment is, how terrifying that is, especially the first time. What could make it worse? How about a dragon? how about a seven-headed dragon that's there? It's not Puff the Magic Dragon. Make everything nice and ooh, this is... No, no, there to devour your child. Here she represents true Israel, the church. She is the people of God. And here's the enemy of God's people making matters worse, making matters worse. More intense, you see how the, the vision's trying to catch our attention to, to draw us into this drama. What makes it worse is the value of this child. This child, unlike any other child, as precious as every child is in the sight of God, made in God's image, this child is God in the flesh. The only hope of the world. What chance does she have against this Dragon and this threat. And who's the dragon? Verse 9 says it straight out. It says that, quote, ancient serpent, you can underline that, who is called the devil and Satan the deceiver. This takes us back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. We studied the book of Genesis last year. And we know that this very passage, Genesis 3:15, where these very words were used, is the first instance, the first written account of the gospel. Eve gave in to temptation. She sinned, and Adam sinned, and and the Lord God has a little conversation with Eve and Adam and the serpent. And he says in this passage that he will put enmity, that means war, between her and the serpent, between her seed, her future generations, and the serpent's future generations. Generations, but that one day her very own seed, one of her own children, one day will smash the serpent's head. Genesis 3:15, very first book of the Bible. And here we have Revelation 12, the reference to this ancient serpent. Twenty-two years ago, first time I sat through a whole sermon series in the book of Revelation, I thought I'll I'll never be able to preach like Daryl Johnson. Pastor at the time in Glendale, California, Glendale Presbyterian Church, packed every Sunday to listen, hang on his every word. How could anyone be so so wise and so old? He was probably 48, 49 years old. I'm like, wow. <laughs> and so I want to just take a word from from Pastor Darrell because it was so helpful to me. I hope this is a helpful, fine point as we go forward in this message. He says, to notice this, notice John doesn't use the word sign To refer to the child, where signs point to greater reality, there's no reference of this to the child. The woman is a sign. Don't get lost with the description. That's pointing to a greater reality. The dragon is pointing to a greater reality. The the battle uh, that's being waged is pointing to a greater reality. The child doesn't point beyond himself to another reality, because he is reality. We're not going to find any literal woman clothed in the sun. We're not going to see a literal dragon. But we are going to find that child who's grown to be a man, the son of the living God, reigning supreme. Amen? Amen. Something very helpful to see throughout this book because I know these signs are going to be trippy and you're going to be confused, but you'll see Jesus is always Jesus. How do we know this is Jesus? Look at verse 5. It says, this child is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. A direct quote to Psalm 2, a reference to the Messiah who would come and rule in iron at the time, when we think of stronger metals metals than iron, right? Titanium or what? But iron, symbol of strength, the rod. What's a rod? You think of like a baseball bat? Psalm 23, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Think of a shepherd's crook. So this is pointing to Jesus, our Lord. Look at verse four. We're told that the, the dragon's tail swept down a third of the stars from the heavens and cast them to the earth. A direct reference to Daniel chapter 8, verse 10. Yet another sign. In Daniel, Daniel was recording a sign of the persecution of God's people. He was porting to the tragedy of the exodus. What did Pharaoh do? What did Pharaoh do? He had the children, ages two and under, boys, to be killed, even childbirth. Thankfully, Moses was spared and saved. Then we find the Christmas story. And, and so often, we, we skip this last week. We had all the children here in the sanctuary. And there, there might be kids here this morning but we so often skip Matthew 2, 16 to 18 in the Christmas story because we don't want to retell that tragic news. What was it? That when King Herod, with his crooked crown, heard about a new king of the Jews being born, he sent orders to have all the boys under the age of two to be murdered. See how Satan uses government authority (coughs) And strength to exact his revenge. We'll see that even more next week. John doesn't mention Jesus' growing up years or his, his ministry. He jumps right to the very end to his ascending to the throne in heaven. Why? Because that's the whole point of why Jesus went to the cross, that he might ascend and rule supreme over the whole universe. That's the point that John is trying to make here in this first section, that he is king, and he is now bringing new life and that the devil's time is short. Look at verse six. It says, the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place. The Greek there is topos. It means temple or sanctuary. She flees to the wilderness to a place prepared by God where she is nourished for 1260 1, days. This is this a, a statistic? Are we to take this as literal numbers, write down and figure that out, that that's 42 months? No. No. It's a symbolic depiction of God's protecting the church for a given time. That time represents also the time that the Israelites were in the wilderness. They were in the wilderness for this much time, about three and a half years. How long was Jesus' ministry? about three and a half years, it's to understand a set amount of time. And here we have this symbol here as Israel fled Egypt to the promised land, John seeing the mother church, the church of Jesus Christ, protected but out in the wilderness. Don't we say and even sing, this is not my home. We're just sojourners we're just pilgrims passing through, that our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. And that's what we see here. John's trying to encourage his people, hang on for a little longer. The Lord is coming. That's the first scene described here in the first seven verses. Christmas, the birth of Messiah. The second verses, seven to tw- uh, 8 to 12, depicts the cosmic battle of, that was happening before Christmas and at Good Friday. You know, this week is, is Ash Wednesday. Do you know this? This is the beginning of the season of Lent, uh, the beginning of preparing us uh, from now to Easter. Who wouldn't want to get on an airplane to New Orleans for Tuesday, for Fat Tuesday, right? They have a big party. Why didn't they have a big party? What's the foundation of that? Well, no, it's about drinking and sin. Well, yeah, that's what it became, but what was it? It was the last opportunity to celebrate to have a big celebration, and then to go into a time of fasting. That's what's covered here in verses 7 to 12. We see here, as there's a battle happening on earth, at Calvary, on the cross, where Jesus is as vulnerable as he possibly can be, stripped and nailed to a cross, and seemingly defenseless, in heaven, there's an angel. What's his name? Michael? Just make sure we're we're together the guardian angel of Israel, and he's fighting with the devil, with Satan. And so there's a fight on earth, and the counterpart is a fight in heaven, and John sees that the devil and his demons are cast down. You know what pastors and preachers do? They repeat themselves. They repeat themselves. They say it's the same thing different ways, but they keep repeating themselves. And this time, six different ways, six, six different times, John says, the devil was cast down. Look in your text. Underline all six. Why would he say it again and again? We think so much that this is a a battle between equals. Like last night was the heavyweight championship of the world, right? Wilder and Fury, they're they're both in the ring. Why were so many people buying the biggest box office ever for a heavyweight fight? Why? Who knows who's going to win? Who's going to win? The American or the Brit? This is not that kind of fight. This kind of fight is Mike Tyson versus Pee Wee Herman. (laughs) This fight is determined, knocked down six times. How is he defeated? The cosmic battle in heaven, John wants his people to know, he wants you and I to know, has already been won on earth, won at the birth of a child. This battle was won when this child grew up and began a ministry of life and healing and teaching and instructing and putting people back on the right path. This battle was won when he went to the cross. This battle was won on the third day when he rose again. This battle was won when he ascended, this child, a man now, on the throne of heaven. Look at verse 10, verse 10 in the first part. Whenever John's losing his audience, I'm not used to that. Whenever John's losing his audience, he's not sure if he's paying attention he inserts some type of song or a hymn or something to catch everyone's attention. You think about the great Greek tragedies and comedies or Shakespeare. When do they have a a chorus that comes out and sort of explains what's going on? And that's what we see here in verse 10. The song rings out, now salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ has come. He's making it crystal clear. The battle is already won. In Luke chapter 10, it says in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out his 72 disciples, two by two, men and women. Women folk weren't just staying home and cooking because the men were the only ones that had the gospel. Men and women filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered to do ministry. Amen? They go out to all the villages with the message, the kingdom of God has come. And what do they do? Unlike anything we've ever seen, I've ever seen, they preach... They heal in Jesus' name and they cast out demons. And they return to the Lord Jesus and they tell him what they saw that the demons obeyed us, Lord, in your name. They were cast out. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, he says, They return, and the Lord said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The battle being waged and won even before Calvary. And that's why John says here, Satan's time is short. He's saying to a group of people who are struggling to hold on to their faith. They're they're fading. They're doubting their own faith. They're doubting one another. They've got false teachers inside the church. There's division in the church. They're being persecuted from the outside. And he's saying, hold on for a little while. Because towards the end, The attacks will intensify, but it's only because Satan knows that he's already lost. And since the dragon, the devil, can't get to the Messiah anymore because he's been thrown out of heaven, back in the days of Job, Satan could whisper in God's ear and accuse Job. Now that he's been cast out, he goes after the children. It says that he pursues, verse 13, he pursues the woman, She's given metaphorically eagle's wings. That's again a reference to Exodus 19, verse 4, and Deuteronomy 32, verses 10 to 12, an image of of God's care for those that are exposed for a time and times and half a time. Same way as saying 1260 days. Same way as saying, half a sabbatical period. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. The same way of saying. You and I will deal with a brief time of tribulation. You think, Pastor Pete? It's been two thousand years. Thousand years is but what to God? With that our fight, Paul says, Ephesians six twelve. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against spiritual forces. And those spiritual forces that. Present darkness attacks us in three ways. So if you haven't been listening to me at all, I want you to listen to this most practical part of the message. Three ways that the devil attacks us and three ways that God helps us to defend ourselves. First, John calls the dragon the devil, the accuser of brothers and sisters, verse 10. The Hebrew word of uh, Satan, Satan, means the adversary or the accuser, he says 24 7, he's accusing. The Greek word for uh, devil, dablos, means slanderer. He slanders our name. What does that look like? That looks like constantly applying a guilt trip, slandering. You're not lovable. Do you see, do you see what you just did? Oh, you don't measure up. You are a failure. The devil goes around accusing and slandering and coming up with claim after claim against God's people. Number two, John says the dragon is the deceiver of the whole world, verse nine. And Jesus called him the father of lies, John 8, 44. You know, the way this cosmic battle is now fought, it's fought like guerrilla warfare. Think about D-Day when Allied troops landed and we've won, but there was a cleanup operation. And so how does the devil work in this, this operation? Desperately. Guerrilla warfare. By deceiving through, through ambush, sabotage, hidden run. Trying to deceive, mislead, tempt. He plays on our emotions. Whenever you feel most vulnerable, that's where he's at to trip you up. That's what John writes about in chapters two and three, about the false teachers that are being sent forward to trip people up and deceive them. Third, John says the devil seeks to kill. That's why the dragon is red, after all. The dragon loves a culture of death. The dragon reveled that his minions, the Pharaoh and Herod, through the state, or exercised that authority to wipe out and to kill children. The devil loves that culture of death. The devil loves that we have a culture of death. They think about euthanasia, something that wouldn't even enter people's mind. You know what euthanasia means? In the original life, it means easy death. It's just easy. You've worn your welcome, you, you're too old by now. You know, John was in his 80s on Patmos, he was there to rot and die by the state. The devil kills. What's our response? Verse 15, it says, the servant poured water like a river from its mouth to sweep the woman and the church away. What does that mean? He's talking about a a flood of accusation and deceit and death threats. How do we fight back? How do we overcome? Verse 11, they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. And that's where we're going to end right here. In verse 11, the most important verse in the whole chapter, we conquer three ways. We overcome in three ways. First, when the accusations and the slander comes against you, when there's claims put against you that you've done something wrong, what do we do? We make our own claim. We say, yeah, you know what? I am guilty, but I'm going to claim the blood of Jesus and stand. I'm not suggesting that, that uh, we should go around suing people or counter-suing, but that's the kind of claim, a claim made in court that you've done something wrong. Make your own claim. Stand up to it. Say, you're guilty. You know what? I am guilty. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. I'm going to claim today the grace of the Lord Jesus. And that re- it's often a religious voice in my head or in my heart it tells me I'm a failure, that I've lost. They say, no, that sin was paid for, nailed to the cross. How dare I do anything but claim the blood of Jesus? That's number one. Number two, when the flood of deceit rises and the lies flood in, what do we do? We need to take a stand. And we need to stand on what's really real. Jesus is the only one in this passage who's not a sign pointing to a great reality. Because he is reality. So to take a stand is to hold on to Jesus, to hold on to what's really real, to have a real life experience of the Lord Jesus. You know, I was thinking about the lies that the evil one spreads, the falseness that he does, the ways that he tempts us, and I was thinking about the coronavirus. Hear me out. The coronavirus is spreading so fast, isn't it? spreading, spreading, spreading. You know, the devil can attack you directly, but once you have that virus of lies and you start saying those lies to yourself, he can move on. You're already infected. Then you can go and spread that infection to other people. You start to believe the lies that the world tells you that that Satan has led before you. know, we're not going to look for the devil around every corner. We're going to consider, what are the things that I'm standing on? Am I standing on the solid rock of my salvation, or am I being swayed, giving in to those lies? Ah, yeah, that must be true about me. That's what everyone's saying. We're giving in too easily. You see, we think so often, and we've been told a lie, that the Bible, that our faith, that Christianity, is about a rule book. And no one here can measure up. Oh, it says right here, uh, you done burnt. So you're, you're off. You're toast. You're wrong. You're a loser. Friends, that is not what the living word is all about. Someone comes to me and says, I just don't understand the Bible. I don't understand where to go for the answers because we've been believing a lie. That this is just simply a rule book. It's so much more. Jesus wants you to stand and have a real life encounter with him. Have you had that? To experience the grace of the living God, to experience what it means to be justified by faith alone, to experience His grace. You know, this person over here, thank you so much for explaining all these complicated passages. And I can look at great scripture, find this person here. I think they had an experience with the living God. And I would much rather you leave this place, not with the notes and all the scripture references but with you closer to Jesus and standing on his promises. Third and finally, when our faith is attacked and threatened to the point of death, like you are going to lose your life, what point is your life? What does every advertisement say? It says, this thing is so valuable, it's worth everything to improve your life. And what does the gospel say? He gave up his life so you can have this invaluable, incredible, priceless gift of salvation. The attacks only get worse when you live for Jesus. The dragon makes war, verse 17, quote, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. What do we do? What do we do? I said we make a claim, we take a stand, but what do we do when our very life is being threatened? We testify. We testify. We testify saying, there is something worse than losing my life. That's what these first Christians were experiencing. That's what brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing right now. That there's something worse than losing my life. What might that be? Losing my relationship with Jesus. Gain the whole world, yet forfeit my soul. They loved not their lives, even on to death. Verse Eleven. What could be worse than death? John says here, and he will say throughout the rest of the book, it's compromising our faith. Not taking a stand, not making a claim, not testifying. Let's pray. So Lord God, we pray that we would make a claim. I've got no evidence to claim anything but the fact that I am guilty. I I'm completely guilty, Lord. My insurance will definitely cancel. My, my premiums will go through the roof. It was up to me to pay this back. And yet I claim only the blood of Christ. God, when, when the evil one is tempting me to despair and the lies that I'm telling myself about this world, my worldview is so deeply shaped by 12 hours of social media time and TV and, and media and maybe a fraction of, of time, a few moments here and there, with you and communion with you and close to your word. Oh, God, I pray that you'd help us stand, stand on the promises, Lord, to stop that infection. And God, finally, we pray, Lord, that as we're threatened, as we're threatened even on to death, Lord, that we we would make that claim, we would stand, and we would testify to your good grace.